people in Michigan that are planning to vote for Trump. And um, they're not, they don't necessarily like him that much. And they don't necessarily agree with him. They're not racist and rednecks. Or, and they're actually pretty decent people. And so I wanted to sort of, after talking to a number of them, I wanted to sort of, I wanted to write this. And Donald Trump came to the Detroit Economic Club and stood there in front of the Ford Motor executives and said, if you close these factories as you're planning to do in Detroit and build them in Mexico, I'm going to put a 35% tariff on those cars when you send them back and nobody's going to buy them. It was an amazing thing to see. No politician, Republican or Democrat, had ever said anything like that to these executives. And it was music to the ears of people in Michigan and Ohio and Pennsylvania and Wisconsin, the Brexit states. <laughs> you live here in Ohio, you know what I'm talking about. Whether Trump means it or not is kind of irrelevant because he's saying the things to people who are hurting. And it's why every beaten down, nameless, forgotten working stiff who used to be part of what was called the middle class loves Trump. He is the human Molotov cocktail that they've been waiting for. The human hand grenade that they can legally throw into the system that stole their lives from them. And on November 8th, election day, although they lost their jobs, Although they've been foreclosed on by the bank, next came the divorce, and now the wife and kids are gone. The car's been repoed. They haven't had a real vacation in years. They're stuck with the shitty Obamacare bronze plan where you can't even get a fucking Percocet. <laughs> they've essentially lost everything they had except one thing. The one thing that doesn't cost them a cent and is guaranteed to them by the American Constitution, the right to vote. They might be penniless, they might be homeless, they might be fucked over and fucked up, it doesn't matter because it's equalized on that day. A millionaire has the same number of votes as the person without a job. One. And there's more of the former middle class than there are in the millionaire class. So on November 8th, the dispossessed will walk into the voting booth, be handed a ballot, close the curtain, and take that lever or felt pen or touchscreen and put a big fucking X in the box by the name of the man who has threatened to upend and overturn the very system that has ruined their lives. Donald J. Trump. They see that the elites who ruined their lives, hate Trump. Corporate America hates Trump. Wall Street hates Trump. The career politicians hate Trump. The media hates Trump after they loved him and created him and now hate him. Thank you, media. The enemy of my enemy is who I'm voting for on November 8th. Yes, on November 8th, you Joe Blow, Steve Blow, Bob Blow, Billy Blow, Billy Bob Blow, all the blows get to go and blow up the whole goddamn system because 
It's your right. Trump's election is going to be the biggest fuck you ever recorded in human history. And it will feel good. Welcome back. David Penn here. The Professor Penn Podcast. This is episode 88 about the three domains, three ways to die, and eight keys to life. That's three domains, three ways to die, and eight keys to life. We're going to go out there on a limb today. Uh, We started out there on this 22nd of January, 2024, at 7 a.m., posting up at 7.30 p.m. on the 23rd, that's Central Standard Time, the normal time for the Professor Penn podcast. The premieres, 7.30 p.m. Central, Tuesdays and Thursday nights. Welcome. Hope you're well. Hope I see you in the live chat. That was Michael Moore. Those of you who are not familiar with Michael Moore, let me introduce you to him. He's a very noted filmmaker. He is as lefty as lefties come. He's left, left, left. And, you know, it sounds like he's um, supportive of Donald Trump. Actually, if you listen to the whole piece, he goes on to give many reasons why Trump is not to be supported by this same group of uh, passed over and picked on American citizens to whom he speaks. Uh, and I want to give the full context, unlike this clip that I pulled off at, uh, off the uh, social media, which disembodies um, uh, more statements from his total presentation. And, you know, if we're searching for truth, we don't want to do that. That's a little transparently manipulative because he's not a Trump supporter. He's anything but a Trump supporter. He views Trump as a great threat to the system to which he alludes. And that system, that system was always opposed by the left. And in our minds, in our historical memory, we see the left as the outsiders. They won. They took over the system. We live in the post-World War II Democrat liberal order. It's a Democrat liberal order. The left has won. And Moore sees Donald Trump and the Trump movement of American citizens as a huge threat, a threat to the system which he has spent his whole life trying to take over and to operate, and they're operating it. And we see the result. And he's talking to these American citizens that the system is parasitized. I thought that was cute. You can't even get a Percocet on an Obamacare bronze plan. I didn't know that because I'm not on the plan. I'm old enough to be on the plan. I'm just not on the plan. Just not there. Can't do it. Anyhow, um, the point of this open was the left knows, the right knows, the center knows, the up knows, the down knows, the white knows, the black knows, the green knows, everybody knows. Everybody knows that you know, that I know, that you know, that we all know that the system is what's on on the ballot here. Let us not get caught up again in the personality of Trump. That's what is going on here. Let Trump, 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 Trump. Let's talk about Trump. Nah, you know what? Trump is on his last leg. Let's say he wins. It's four years and out. 
He has, he's not going to run again. He can't constitutionally. And he's getting pretty long in the tooth. It's the ideas. And the ideas, and I, I'm, I'm watching this social media so carefully. Uh, here's a couple of the, the two big takeaways with the big Ron DeSantis uh, uh, withdrawal yesterday. Ron's out. What a surprise. You know, I'm in the stream. I'm watching all of his supporters, his paid uh, compiadors that are out there shilling for him 24 hours a day. You know, this is how you know somebody's on somebody's payroll. I mean, I'm, I'm doing this a lot, but I got a life. I'm not doing it 24 hours a day. Some of these people are on this thing 24 hours a day. This must mean that somebody's paying them to do it because they don't have anything else to do. Two big takeaways. Number one, Donald Trump is not a conservative. Well, as we all know here on this, if you're new, let me introduce myself. I'm a very big critic of the uni party. That would be the left and the right. That would be the liberals and the conservatives who are in an energy system together blaming each other for the outcomes that both sides wish to see come about. And what are those outcomes? I think I need to do a Greatest Hits uh, podcast because we've covered so much ground in these uh, previous 87 episodes. Let me summarize. Their outcome is the continuation, the maintenance, and the heightening of the British business model that we've picked up here in the United States, that would be the model of slavery and drugs and piracy. And when we say slavery, it's no longer chattel slavery, it's debt slavery. Debt slavery. I'm in debt. Every American citizen is in debt by at least the $34 trillion because it's our full faith and credit that guarantees that, you know, deficit, that, that debt. That is a very non-conservative outcome. Yet the conservatives have created this. I said on the last podcast, we got a senator in Iowa, Chuck Grassley. He's about 462 years old. He was elected to the Senate in 1981, the year that the U.S. debt first passed $1 trillion. And in his career from 81 through 2024, the debt's gone from $1 trillion to $34 trillion. And I'm sure he's going to sit and blame the Democrat like it's the Democrats' fault. No, conservatives, it's the conservatives' fault. And I like that. That's a Royce White term because it talks about cuck, which means subordinating yourself to something else, not self-governing, not standing up on your own two feet, not paddling your own canoe, kind of uh, giving over to some other force. And the force that we're given over here to in the United States is this British business model of slavery, drugs, and piracy. And that is what the conservative has generated with the liberal. The, 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 the titles, the labels don't mean anything. It's the outcome. So when they say Trump is not a conservative, great, because that didn't work. I don't know what he is. But if we're going to sit here and say being conservative with the history of racism and anti-Semitism 
and homophobia, which is shot through that group of people, for starters, which all the young people, like I got a new producer in here today, I don't have to ask him. I know what he thinks about anti-Semitism and racism and homophobia because he's a child of the new generation. Am I correct? Do I need to ask or do we understand? He's shaking his head. He know, we understand. We don't need to ask. So these people that are my age that walk up to me and make these awful racist comments and anti-Semitic comments, and they're officers of the Republican Party, and you know who you are. I'm just not going to call you out by name because I have some taste, some style, good taste and style. No reason. You're representative. You're emblematic of a thought form, of a, of a cultural set of rules that have just gone away over the last 50 years, and not everything the left has done has been bad. Banning racism and anti-Semitism and homophobia, removing those from the American experience, removing them from our mind, judging a man or a woman by the content of their character and not by the color of their skin seems to me to be something we've all agreed about, except some of the conservatives. They're hanging on to it. We're going to talk about that just in a minute or two. That's one thing. Donald Trump's not a conservative. Okay, let's give it a roll and see where the American citizens get to to solve these problems because we're not going to solve it based on the historical left-right continuum. That must be a scam. We're going to talk about that too, the dialectics. Okay, that's one takeaway. The other one is, and I'm very careful about how I say this, but I, and of course I, I have no statistical or survey data. And I'm going to tell you, we're going to talk about that too. I don't trust that data. But I notice in the social media that I see that a very large number of the most ardent DeSantis supporters who have now become quite angry and have sworn that they will work against Donald Trump no matter what it takes, a lot of them, it seems to me, please, ladies, don't get mad at me, and please go into the life chat, but it seems like a lot of them are very educated, articulate women who absolutely find Donald Trump to be disgusting, and they're quite upfront about it. That's my two big takeaways. I don't know if there's any kind of uh, broad-based statistical uh, confirmation of what I'm seeing, but I do have a thought, a thought which is Donald Trump has five kids with three women. Okay, that's a little bit out of the mainstream. Donald Trump says things and does things which are very um, toxic. They're to he's to he's, his masculinity can tend into the toxic based on where the center of the road is here today. That's just the way it is. Ron DeSantis is a much more thoughtful, erudite, you know, um, he's just more, he's younger. He fits in with the younger crowd a little bit better, I think. My point in saying this is, what Michael Moore said, this will be the biggest up yours in the history of the world if Donald Trump wins because the people that are supporting him view him as a wrecking ball about to smash into a system which has really, in their opinion, ruin their lives. 
the thing that I think has ruined my life, and I'll share this with you, I would like to be free. I don't know why. That's just me. And let me just say, if you've ever been in a fight and you felt power move through you that you know has nothing to do with you, or if you've ever done a guitar solo on stage and you were out of your body looking at yourself playing, you go, wow, my eyes can't believe what my hands have done. If you've ever created anything, if you've ever experienced creativity, really authentic creativity, you know there's something going on here beyond human understanding. And we also know that to the extent that we diminish freedom, we diminish creativity. That's what it's all about because creativity creates difference. It creates novelty. It creates the unexpected. That's not what our elected leaders would like us to experience. Low, verily, it may lead to their demise. And I don't mean their physical demise. I mean their political demise. You know, guys like Professor Ped, like this community, we're getting together a community here to do something politically active. They don't like that kind of creativity. They don't want people thinking out of the box that they construct for us. I don't like that. I would rather fall down into the dirt, realize I failed because my creativity led me to a problem, and then get up dust myself off, and try it again. That's just me. I think I'm in the minority, and that is because who teaches my children and what they teach my children determine who my children become. And without that creativity, without that spark of connection, we lose our freedom. So let me just say, Blessed are you, God and King of all worlds. Thank you for creating the light and the dark. Blessed are you, God and King of all worlds. Thank you for creating me in your image. Blessed are you, God and King of all worlds. Thank you for making me an American. Blessed are you, God and King of all worlds. Thank you for making me free. Blessed are you, God and King of all worlds. Thank you for healing the blind. Blessed are you, God and King of all worlds. Thank you for feeding the people. Blessed are you, God and King of all worlds. Thank you for releasing the bound. Blessed are you, God and King of all worlds. Thank you for raising up the downtrodden. Blessed are you, God and King of all worlds. Thank you for creating the heavens and earth. Blessed are you, God and King of all worlds. Thank you for providing for all my needs. Blessed are you, God and King of all worlds. Thank you for directing my path. Blessed are you, God and King of all worlds. Thank you for my American courage. Blessed are you, God and King of all worlds. Thank you for crowning America with glory. Blessed are you, God and King of all worlds. Thank you for restoring strength to the weary. Blessed are you, God and King of all worlds. Thank you for sending your Son to die on the cross that I might be saved. Forgive me, Father, for I have sinned. Pardon me, my King, for I have willfully transgressed. For you pardon and forgive. Blessed are you, God and King of all worlds who is gracious and ever willing to forgive. I have a new one for you today, something that will give you some insight into what I'm working on and which I think is um, a hidden occult power that we can let loose among us American citizens. Try this one on for size. 
I believe that I've received freedom from sin. Thank you, God and King of all worlds. Thank you. I believe that I've received freedom from sin. I'm going to work on that one. I'm going to say it one more time because three for some reason is a powerful number. I believe that I've received freedom from sin. Okay, that's a a stream of consciousness preamble, and this is a stream of consciousness broadcast. You know, I try to do a lot of news, and I pay attention to the news. And the news, hey, let me give you a summary. It's not good. (laughs) I'd like to (laughs) report some good news. The news just gets worse and worse. Keep your eyes on the Middle East. We're heading towards a general war with Iran. That's what's going on. We're in war now. There, you know, for whatever reason, when a war's not being reported, when you turn on television and it's football and your military is engaged throughout an entire region in acts of war and violence, bombings, killings, you know, the countries are coordinated, dozens of countries coordinated in an effort to um, be at war with the Iranians and their proxies and then with the Russians who back up the Iranians. That's what's going on. Take a look at the map and look at where is the northern Middle East, Syria, Iraq, Iran, and where is Russia? Where is the Ukraine? Take a look at how close this region is interconnected, and you'll see why I'm not going to talk about it anymore. It's just not good. You have to find it for yourself. I want to take a minute and uh, talk about uh, Tire Gap. Why? We're a movement. We need money to go on. This is an expensive proposition. Um, I'm not. Um, I'm not lost on the fact that we're all struggling for money, and uh, you know we do have a store, FreePeopleRadio.com. There's a store you can get coffee mugs and T-shirts, things that you need. But what we've done here at Free People Radio is we've aligned ourselves with a product, a product, tires, consumer tires, tires that go on your cars and light trucks, that every, not every, because a lot of people don't have vehicles, but most American citizens still have personal transportation. Many families have two and three and four vehicles. If you're watching this broadcast or you're watching Free People Radio, like Royce White and some of the other content that we have coming. And we got a lot coming. We're going to be expanding here quite a bit over this next year into a whole range of, of media, all with the same idea, getting the American citizens together into a political action community such that we can do something to maintain our republic together as a coordinated uh, community. Tires. Tires is part of funding this movement in the sense that it is an advertiser here on the station. We all got to buy tires. The price is right. The tires are right. The service is right. You got to buy tires. Please go buy them from TireGet.com. And here's an, here's an ad about TireGet in the movement. Winter was late this year. Oh boy, but it's, it's arrived. We got snow everywhere. It's cold everywhere. Please be safe. If you're sliding around out there and you want to buy a new all-season tire or a winter tire, Go to TireGet.com. That's T-I-R-E-G-E-T.com. 
It's a one-stop shop for all your tire needs. You gotta buy your tires from someone. When you buy them from TireGet, you are funding the movement. We have great customer service. You call in, you email in, we'll contact you back. We'll make sure you get exactly the tire that you need. Not any more, not any less, just right. We're here for you. Target.com. This is a great way to fund the movement. It's a great way to get the tires that you need, and we're going to do your service. So you pick your tire, and we'll service the tires. We'll get them on your vehicle. That's T-I-R-E-G-E-T.com, and thank you very much for listening. Okay, welcome back. One last little bit of news before we get into the meat and potatoes of today's podcast, tonight's podcast, excuse me. Congress averts another shutdown. Our, Dem- our Democrat and Republican Uni Party has come together, come together, and done something that we swore would never be done again. They've passed yet another continuing resolution. What is a continuing resolution? A continuing resolution indicates that the elected representatives of We the People could not sit down and hammer out a budget, which is a show and tell story. Okay, show and tell, show and tell. If they had to hammer it out, they could hammer it out. Like, for example, if all of a sudden the well ran dry, they put up legislation in two or three days, they would tell us exactly how the world's going to be. The reason they're passing these continuing resolutions is because it prevents oversight or any kind of change to the funding that's going on or the strategy of the funding. And here's the strategy. We're $34 trillion in debt. Kevin McCarthy and Tom Emmer gave us a spending bill, which pretty much controls this entire drama. The the actual drama itself is just to, you know, in case you don't like football, you can watch the Congress. It's the same thing without the high stakes of physical injury. You know, you can get injured and show up the next day and you look fine. Unlike in the NFL where you might have to go get surgery. These people smash into each other and nothing ever happens but tomorrow's television appearance. Isn't that interesting? They're gladiators that don't really uh, put anything on the line. They don't put anything on the line. They get to say whatever they want. And here's what they're saying. You dumb American citizens are so stupid that you're going to let us spend the country into bankruptcy so we can impose a central bank digital currency and take all your assets away. Because, of course, your assets, you dummies, your assets are the guarantee on the debt that we're running up. And a continuing resolution says nobody's looking at the debt. They're just going to keep on keeping on. So they've got a $1.66 trillion, and they say it that way, which is deeply manipulative. It's actually a $6.2 trillion expenditure, a fiscal annual expenditure. But they get it down to just the discretionary spending because the rest of that $1.66 trillion is the discretionary defense and domestic spending. All the rest of it is interest and entitlements. So you can see on a $6.2 trillion budget, we only have $1.66 trillion of spending money. Like, you know, in, in, your, in your home, you pay your bills. You pay your debts every month. You sit down. I still write checks, and I'm going to recommend, please, you write checks too because it comes up the system. So when Michael Moore said, it's a giant F you to the system, yes, it is, vampires. I am not going to comply. I'm going to sit down and write checks. 
I'm not going to point and click. I'm getting out of the digital mindset and getting back to the analog mindset from whence I came. i give you a little uh, pitch here. Royce White has started a five-night-a-week radio show on the John Fredericks Radio Network. It's on 7 to 8 p.m. Central Time. You can download the John Fredericks Radio Network app at the App Store, or if you live in many major American cities, for example, Philadelphia or Atlanta or Pittsburgh, for example. John Fredericks actually owns radio station towers in those cities. So Royce White is going up on radio. Guess what? He's not governed by a set of digital rules. He's governed by a set of analog rules. And all he has to do is not swear. So if you'd like to watch Royce and follow Royce on radio, and I'm not talking about this because I want to pitch Royce. I'm saying it's radio. Professor Penn is going to get up on radio. Radio is a different method and means of communication. It's a different channel of distribution, and it's very important. And we, the American citizens, can reject, refrain, redirect some of our attention back into that analog world, or as we would like to call it, the real world. But they passed this continuing resolution. They swore they wouldn't. They said they wouldn't. They promised they wouldn't. And they did again. They did again. This is the third one with the Republican Congress. And you know how these bills pass? They pass with the support of the Democrat. Only two Democrats voted against this continuing resolution in the House. It wouldn't have passed with Republican bill, uh, votes because about half the Republicans said, uh, you know what, let us give the system a giant FU. Can you imagine running your life and you just never had to pay attention to how much money you were spending? Wouldn't that be great? Lifestyles of the rich and famous. Everybody needs to, at some time or other, by foot, by car, by plane, by train, take a trip to Washington, D.C., and go look at how these people live, because it's truly the Emerald City. You know, I'm living here in Minneapolis. It's not like Washington, D.C. If we can get ourselves to Washington and take a look around, at the intense wealth that is associated with the seat of power, when we start to get our minds wrapped around what's really going on here. So they passed the continuing resolution, the discretionary budget income. Like when you get done paying your bills, I know I put a few bucks in my pocket, and I can't even go out to eat, it's too expensive, but I got a few bucks in my pocket, that's my discretionary income. You know, who knows, maybe I'll buy some bubble gum, something small. Because that's all that's left to me with the inflation. But not our government. $1.66 trillion, that's split up equally between what? The military and domestic discretionary spending, mostly health care. That would be the uni parties, the benefactors of the uni party that pay millions and millions of dollars to keep all these people in their seats, right, are getting what they want. If you can put this up at some point or maybe after, I have a, I have a very nice uh, graphic here. The U.S. dominates global arms exports. 
And in in 2013 to 2017, the United States had 33% of the world's arm export market share. The whole rest, I mean, nobody even came close. The next closest was Russia. They had 22%. Now, here we are in 2023, 2024, the latest data, and the United States has shot up to 40% market share. Look what your country's good at, killing people, right? That's our expertise. In Russia, they shrunk down to 16%. So the United States is 40, world market share, 40% of the market. Number two is Russia. They dropped down to 16. I think we're winning this game. So what that continuing resolution is doing is it's maintaining this system of slavery, drugs, and piracy. Piracy is the military part. You know what do pirates do? They show up in boats, say, give us your women and your goods or we're going to sink you. They get the women's and the goods in the boat, and then they kill all the men and sink the ship anyhow. Pirates, right? That's why we call them pirates. Pirates. That's what these people are. They're pirates. And there, there's a part of the piracy of inflation is part of the deal, taking people's things away from them. And the other part of it is, if you can put this up, I'm just going to keep going with this Alpha News thing. I'm going to show you this. This is a picture of a young man. He's black. And they put a picture of him up. Alpha News, every every week, another suspect, another, another black suspect, a mugshot. So this suspect tried to carjack three people last week at the Mall of American Bloomington. And they put his picture up. And all the conservatives out here in the western suburbs Watch Elf and as they go, oh my goodness gracious, we're being, see that's that, that, that racism that's out here in the wet, that fear, you know, fear, 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 fear. So you know what? When you pass the continuing resolution, you fund the military industrial complex, which extends from the arm dealers all the way down to the cops. And we're afraid of all these people in the world. We need all this money because, you know, we have to defend America from the Muslims and from the Chinese and from the North Koreans and from the Russians and from all these different groups that pose a threat to the new world order, or the, excuse me, the post-World War II Democrat liberal order. They're different but the same. And down here at the local level, we got to be terrified, just terrified of our fellow citizens who are robbing and stealing. And as we talked about on, uh, you know, the... Uh, Nazis and gangsters, hey, when you don't give people a family, a faith, an education, when you bar them for participation in society by erecting barriers that they can't get over, and then you blame it on them, just pull it, pull yourself up by your bootstraps, buddy. And then we erect a couple of examples of people that get the job done, because there's always exceptional people that get it done. We're not making it easy for these young people to develop themselves. In fact, we're making it very hard for them, very hard. Their education sucks, which we're going to talk about education today. That's what we're really going to talk about. They're not taught how to be well, how to have faith, how to have creativity. They're not. They're just not. Then they're labeled as stupid, as miscreants, as psychopaths, as, you know, they got all kinds of disease categories for them. And probably a lot of them have disease categories because they grew up in very unhealthy environments. And then we put their pictures up. I'd love it if while I was talking, you could get this picture up of this guy. He is terrifying looking. And I hope everybody in the western suburbs realize that what we're doing here, there he is, scary looking, 
Uh, he is scary looking. I agree. And what do we have? We have a government that has erected a huge military uh, complex to protect us against foreign and local enemies. And the local enemies are erected by a company like Alpha News, a media company. It's this guy, and everybody needs to back the blue. And what are we doing? We're making sure that young black men cannot feel comfortable voting in the Republican Party. So we're not having unity. We're not coming together as the American people. We're making divisions. That's what I see in social media is a bunch of people fragmenting the American people. We are supposed to have different opinions. That's good. Thank you very much. We are supposed to have different opinions. It's about ideas. And here's the fundamental idea. One nation under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. Let's get back to that idea. It's a fundamental, a cultural fundamental, which seems to be getting brushed under the rug with all of the cultural Marxism. One nation under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. Injustice. Okay, great. If you have truth, you can have justice. That's why we're truth-seeking media. So let me thank Free People Radio for giving me this platform. And let's remember the precinct strategy. For those of you who are getting motivated and want to get something done, go to Dan Schultz's precinctstrategy.com, precinctstrategy.com, go tutorial on everything you need to get into the game of politics. It's very important. It's a stream of consciousness day. I'm letting it out. I'm not being very organized because it occurred to me, it occurred to me in watching social media how disorganized people are. I actually had some writing lab. I mean, it was the person that's hiding behind that, um, that screen name, but it was some writing lab. You know, somebody's selling writing skills online. They started following me and liking my tweets because I take the time to try to write respectfully and I try to say something that is, you know, intellectually challenging. Otherwise, I try not to tweet. I mean, the only time I'll tweet just for no reason if somebody goes, F you, F you, F you, F you, F you, I'll say eloquent. It's very eloquent. It's very elo- It is actually very eloquent. It's just that there could be a higher level of eloquence or a different level. So my dream, here's a dream. A new strategy, part of being in politics is whatever strategy you have today is probably not going to work tomorrow or the day after tomorrow. It's a very quickly evolving space. And people get caught in fixed positions, like knocking on doors when everybody's in social media. We don't need to knock on doors, okay? We need, if you are an activist, of course the Democrat understands this, that's why they win elections among other reasons. One reason among other reasons. I like to say this because of my friend Tom. Hello, Tom. I know you're listening. You know, among other reasons, they're spending their time in social media where the voters are. Right now, X, formerly known as Twitter, is relatively a free space for American citizens to discuss things with each other. It's powerful. And, you know, you, you know, you're going to get bounced around a little bit in there. And come on, it's completely anonymous. 
It's like the guy that uh, gives me the finger from his car. It's not really threatening, okay, as he drives away in his 4,000-pound automobile. Nothing's really going to happen. That's what social media is all about. My life gets threatened. I don't feel threatened because it's social media. I mean, people say, you know, wingnut things on social media. But my dream is, since everybody's there, all the activists are there, and we tried this last time, I said to the audience, please go follow Prof Pen Podcast on X. I'm at the Prof Pen Podcast. Prof being the abbreviation for professor. Prof Pen Podcast. Please go follow me there. And here's my dream. I'm posting the shorts up there. I'm posting the long-form uh, episodes. I'm putting in tweets. I'm putting up the news that matters. I'm working in there, and I'm getting good at it. And if we all came in together, and I mean the whole free people community, and I'm going to talk to Royce about this, and we all work together, retweeting, reposting, supporting each other, we could actually organize quite a digital door knock online on X. And I think this is something we want to work towards. So please go follow me and start to take down the shorts and the episodes and send them out to your friends. And I'm going to tell you another reason why it's important. You know, here we are on YouTube. And, of course, we're up on Rumble at the same time. We're on Apple Podcasts. We're all over. We're ubiquitous. Remember that. We're going to have to post everywhere, right? Got a new engineer in here today, Mr. Yeager. Mr. Yeager's cool. I like Mr. Yeager. Anyhow. Uh, on YouTube, this is last week, I hadn't been getting any new people. And I'm looking every day because you do get hung up in the endorphin rush of how many people are listening. Not that I'm giving over to it. It's just a metric about how this community is forming up. And I hadn't had any new people in a long time. And I looked, and there was nine new people. And I thought, oh, that's great. And I looked back a minute later, a minute, 60 seconds because I needed another endorphin rush. And those nine people were gone, and three more. I was three down from where I started the morning. What's that? And I got all these people showing up in the live chat, and thank you, that I've never heard from before. And please, if you're watching, come in. And please watch during the, li the live premieres, if you can, so we can talk to each other. But I need your help. I need you to click the like button. I need you to leave comments. I need you to distribute the shorts. I need you to bring new people. And when I say I and you, I'm asking for your help. I don't know. I mean, I need help. How does that sound? Let me make an I statement. I need help. I need help building this community. So if you like the content, please, please do all the YouTube things that you can do to help us with those algorithms. And here's the number one thing. Bring people to the live premieres. That'll help. Go on X and subscribe and be, be in the Prof Pen podcast community, and let's get after some of these people. Let's self-reinforce. Let's take this very simple ideology. It's very simple. I would like to have borders, both spiritual and physical, and I'm more focused on the spiritual, and we're going to talk about that very soon here. Borders, spiritual and physical, turn public debt into public assets so my children don't have to be poor, and then let's end the endless wars so they don't have to get killed serving overseas. I got another young producer in here. And how young, How old are you? 24. 24 years old. 
There's no dra- there is no draft for the 24-year-old people of this country. They feel they're living in safety and security. What they don't understand is the, our Congress is building up the energy to reinstate a drafting process as soon as possible. This is very supported by the left. The left wants all young people in to the military because when we strip away your personality and burn you down to survival and then reprogram you exactly the way we want you to, this is called mind control. And why do I know about this? Well, (laughs) after three days of no food and no sleep and physical activity, 16 to 18 hours of those days, and I mean serious physical activity, after three days of that, it kind of levels the playing field. You're hungry. You're tired. Just standing at attention in the hot sun is a challenge. Some people give up just from that. I know I wanted to. And then they tell you how things are going to be. Let me tell you about that story in a minute. Three great traditions in the dialectics. The clip. We'll see if I can put it together in a clippable fashion. Three great traditions. Well, there's, there's three great traditions, okay? Um, and you know, if I left out your tradition, I'm sorry. We'll call it four great traditions, five, six, whatever. It doesn't matter. There's not that many great traditions, okay? You've got Judeo-Christianity and Marxism and paganism, the historical and intellectual tradition of the West and the Middle East. You had paganism. Then you had Judaism. Then you had Christianity. And then you had Marxism. It's kind of one connected thesis and antithesis. And why I say that, it's a dialectic. These dialectics happened quite naturally. First, there was paganism. And Abraham said, whoa, there's one God. Now you had monotheism. You had polytheism. Then you had monotheism. That's a dialectic. It had an outcome. That would be called Judaism. Judaism was at war with the Roman Empire. That was a dialectic. That had an outcome. That was called Christianity. So you had polytheism, Judaism, Christianity, and Christianity became the divine right of kings in uh, alliance with the Holy Roman Church, and that gave a dialectic that led to Marxism. And these dialectics, these tensions of opposites, you know, it would be nice if you'd put up, and you don't have to do this, but put this up in your mind. And maybe Yeager will do it if he feels like it. I didn't prepare for this. But go look at the yin-yang symbol. This is of another great tradition, the Asian philosophical tradition. The the Asian philosophical tradition, the yin-yang symbol. It's a symbol of change. It's a symbol of the dialectic. Because this dialectic is a natural occurring phenomenon that's baked in to the cake of creation, like man and woman. There's a nice dialectic, isn't it? Let's get off the three dial. I mean, I could come up with 10 dialectics. 
There's a great one, man and woman. There's a great dialectic. What comes out of that? Children. See, these dialectics are natural. And they have a historical, philosophical, ideas-based history that we can study. Islam. Islam is a reaction to the pagan, polytheistic, Judaistic, and Christian tradition. Islam is born out of that tradition. It's an offshoot of that tradition. It's right in the Old Testament where it comes from. And then you have the Chinese tradition. And you could say Marxism is its own tradition, but actually it's part of the European tradition. So wherever you want, please, if you're in the live chat, you want to argue with me. If I forgot something, I'm sure I did. I know I did. We could say Darwinism. Darwinism is a great tradition, a great tradition. Where does it come from? Let's look back and understand its philosophical and ideational roots. But if I was going to say three great traditions, okay, we got Judaism, we got Christianity, and Islam. That's three. Maybe it's one. We got Marxism. Maybe that's four. Maybe that's one. We got China and the Asian philosophy. Oh, that's different. And I can say this, and I'm going to say this to everybody. I did not learn these things just from a book. I speak Hebrew. I read Hebrew. And I've studied the Old Testament since I was about seven or eight years old. Now, am I a scholar? No, I am not. Do I put myself up as some kind of Old Testament expert? No, I do not. I'm just familiar enough with the tradition that I can speak to it. It moves me, and I think I understand something of what it is trying to do because it's done it in my life. We'll talk about that a little bit today. Christianity. Well, I've made the statement, Christ appeared to me. I mean, you can't be any more frank about, wow, where did that come from when you're raised Jewish? And I mean, religious Jewish. That's why it's so meaningful to me, because I didn't have any ideational or imagery or iconology around Christ. Jewish people are raised to believe that Christ was not the Messiah. And that's saying it nicely. So those of you that are in the Stu Peters camp, when Stu says that, Jews are raised to believe that Christ is not a good guy, that's 100% correct because Judaism was threatened by Christianity and it really wasn't threatened, okay? That is very narrow thinking because Judaism and Christianity are the same thing. I'm sorry, you don't like it, argue with me. But I've prayed in the Christian church extensively and I've studied where their ideas come from and the whole format is based on Judaism. The whole thing is, so you would say it's all based on paganism, polytheism then, wouldn't you? These things are all connected. They're all connected. And when you start to move out of the dialectic, because they're dialectics, they create outcomes. The tension of opposites, like that yin-yang picture, create outcomes. Now, here's what's happened with these great traditions and all the minor traditions that are spawned from them like Democrats and Republicans. Those are two groups, right? They're in a dialectic. They have an outcome. You know what it's called? The uni party. Slavery, drugs, and piracy. That's the outcome. You're a Republican. You love Ron DeSantis. He's the greatest conservative since Reagan. 
Great. You're an empire builder. You believe in the empire. Learn your tradition. Learn who these people are and learn what you're saying. It doesn't matter that Ron DeSantis has a nice family, that he's married, he's got beautiful kids, and that he's young and handsome. That is the wrapping on the package of death. Death. Because the empire is about death. Every empire is about death, going back all the way back to the Pharaoh's empire in Egypt. Then we're going to talk about that today. Got a lot of ground to cover. Thanks for staying with me. The traditions create these smaller groups. They form naturally. What's happened as man has woken up from a very, in the natural way, not thinking too much. You know, if you talk about a traditional lifestyle where you have to farm for a living, where you have 14 kids in the family because nine of them die of childhood, Hood diseases. The life expectancy was like 35, 40 years old. There was not a lot of time to sit around and think about things. There was a lot of doing, a lot of walking, a lot of uh, sweating for your daily bread. People couldn't intellectualize. They were caught up in these dialectics, in these movements, and that was good enough because you know what those movements were? They were survival strategies. Christianity brought forth the idea of loving your neighbor as yourself. Probably cut down on death in your own backyard. Because after all, I'm told I'm supposed to love this guy and not covet his goods, not covet his wife. Don't steal his ox. Don't kill the guy. Probably cut down on violence. It was a good thing, right? Right? I mean, would you really like to go home tonight and your next-door neighbor comes over and kills you and takes your wife and kids as slaves. Would you like that? Doesn't sound real fun. So there was a more kind of um, physical, less intellectual approach. But as we got farther and farther away from survival level, because we are a thinking organism, and we got into agriculture, and we started to um, differentiate jobs in the society, and some people got put into the role of priest, politician, professor, and they got paid to think and to sell ideas. Oh, someone said, maybe we can manipulate these great traditions, these dialectics, and create the outcomes, the outcomes that we're looking for. And if you think about this, I'm asking, I've been thinking about it. When I think about, okay, I'm going to take a handful of little stones and cast them into a lake, and they're going to create all these ripples. And to think that all these ripples from all these different dialectics are coordinated and have an outcome in someone's mind, that is frightening. And that's why I pray in the morning when it's just myself, many plans arise in human hearts. But the plan in the heart of God always prevails. I get strength out of that because there's some very skilled, very skilled, and very evil people who are manipulating these great transitions. <laughs> We're manipulating these great traditions 
to bring about a transition to a world that they envision as where they want the outcome to be. And these great traditions bring people into freedom and self-governance and creativity and responsibility. And that's not the outcome that the people that are manipulating these great traditions are looking for. What they're looking for is servitude and feudalism and poverty because, as we all know, we're supposed to love the earth so much we hate people. I know my kids are that way. They love the earth so much they hate people. They tell me all the time. You know, the earth was not created for mankind and womankind. No, we're just another animal here on the earth. I just was hearing that last week. Okay, you know what? These are things for the next podcast. Let's stay on track because I want to get into how these people get trained. There was a lot that came up over the last several podcasts about secret societies. And I, you know, I keep playing this John Kennedy piece where it says that we as the American people reject secret societies. We do in terms of running the country. And what we're finding out here is, is that the whole country is run by secret societies. And I say this every time. If anybody's watching me that has a PhD in particle physics, please chime in the live chat. Because we, the American citizens, don't know anything about what you're doing in that secret society of PhD physicists. We read some of it. It sounds like a good story. But when I see those particle beams that are now all over the news, that you know our, our navies have lasers, just like on Star Trek. They're shooting stuff down. Where did that come from? What's the next rabbit to get pulled out of the hat here that you scientists have come up with in your secret societies? What's the next rabbit that you're going to pull out of your hat? That disturbs me, scares me. Because I know they're Darwinists, and they don't have any allegiance to the one true and living God or to any of our sacred traditions that go back thousands of years. In fact, they think they got a better idea. That's why I get some comfort in many plans arise in human hearts. But the plan that arises in the heart of God will always prevail. I'm going to stand on that. And I'm going to keep saying, I believe I've received freedom from sin. Want to beat these people down? I think we better look at some spiritual, esoteric strategies for enhancing our ability to prevail here, to get strength here. I'm looking for it. That's why I keep saying, I believe that I've received freedom from sin. I believe it. I believe I've received freedom from sin. Say it. Can I have an amen? Could we do that together as the American people? Could we think bold? Could we be the change we're seeking? Like President Obama said, instead of, you know, free marijuana and, uh, you know, one in five uh, pregnancies in this country, one in five, 20%, you know, abortion's rare, but one in five, 20% of pregnancies ends in abortion. You know, that's, I guess, rare statistics. Is 20% rare in your generation? Do you think 20% of pregnancies ending in abortion, is that rare? Not to say you're for it or against it, but I'm just wondering. That's not rare, is it? No, 
See, now I'm not going to ask this young man if he's pro a woman's right to choose in her own reproductive health care as her business. That's not the point. I'm saying that the leading cause of death in the world last year was abortion. It doesn't sound rare. You know, so I, you know, a lot of, a lot of plans arise in human hearts. Like the leading cause of death on the planet was abortion. Hey, I'm not saying it's right, wrong, or indifferent. I'm saying I'm living in an empire where militaries dominate, where we're at war everywhere. We're at war everywhere. We're at war. We, the people, are at war. We, we're on the verge of war in the South China Sea. We're definitely at war in the Middle East. We're back in a war, and we're actually in with our contractors in the Ukraine. We're in a three-front war right now. Right now. People are dying wholesale all over the world because of the tax dollars that I'm spending. After you go to Target and buy tires, i got to pay tax on that. They take the tax, and they have a $1.66 trillion discretionary spend for empire. And that empire is the military-industrial complex and the medical-industrial complex. And what do these two complexes do? They kill things. That's what they do. I'm sorry. That's my opinion. I don't want to maintain that. I want our medical-industrial complex to simply be about well-being. What does well-being mean? We need to redescribe that. That's my opinion. We can get better there. That's why we have universities always researching a more uh, efficient and effective way of doing what? Enhancing human well-being. That's why we become doctors, to make people well. The military is supposed to keep us safe, protect our borders. What border? We could go on. So how do these people get this done? That's really the issue. How are they able? How is a small group of people that we don't know and we don't see, I don't know any of them, how are they able to manipulate the dialectic of these great traditions like conservatives and liberals, Democrats and Republicans, left and right, red and blue? How can they manipulate this to get the outcome they want, which in this case was a continuing resolution? And they're going to come up with this budget idea again in March. Well, our fiscal year started in November. So what they've done is, before anybody can put the brakes on it, They've gone six months spending more money this year than they did last year, which they spend more money every year. Come on. This is going to make everyone poor. Everyone but a handful of oligarchs that control everything. I don't want that for my kids. I don't want it for my new producer. He's in here working hard. He was up at 7 o'clock this morning. He's obviously got some get up and go to do that. You know, Otherwise, he'd be home smoking dope and watching cartoons this morning. I don't know. He might like it better than this presentation. He'll tell me later. So we got these domains of knowledge. They underlie the great traditions. And there's a whole philosophical science called epistemology, where if you go through your four-year undergraduate degree and then go to school and get a Ph.D. in philosophy, you could become an epistemologist. You could study what is knowledge? Where does it come from? How will you know if it's true or false? You're an epistemologist. It's a very important thing to consider. And why is that? Because in this digital realm, 
We've, number one, been disconnected from our feelings, so we can't feel the truth. And number two, the lying is getting awfully darn good. It's been getting better and better forever. You know, it's so good that you, I personally have no idea what's going on. That's why I look at dozens of news sources trying to figure out what's going on because I'm dependent on somebody else to tell me. And this goes back into the three domains of, of knowledge. Now, I have a right as a student of the Judeo tradition and the Christian tradition, and I've studied the Darwinist tradition because I went to an East Coast school and I read and I write and I, you know, I can do math. I was trained in that tradition. And I've also been trained in the Eastern tradition. I mean, I have a wide range and a great depth in these traditions. And I'm going to say again, I am not a scholar. So if somebody's watching, it's go, well, you're wrong about this and you're wrong about that. Yes. If you want to say that I missed it on this and I missed it on that, please correct me because I'll just learn from you. But I have this unique gift, which I thank God for, to look at things very holistically. And uh, some of these descriptions that I find in one uh, domain, in one tradition, might work a little bit differently than some of the others at this time or that time, which means I'm very situational how I use what I know, and I'm not bound by any of this because it's all the property of humanity. And I like there's a tradition in, in uh, Native American life and a tradition in the, in the East about the grounds and basis of knowledge. And here's what it is. There's what you know. There's what I know. In other words, what I can see, what I can smell, what I can taste, what I can feel, what I can remember, what I can calculate myself, what I personally know. That's what I know. That's what I know. Then there's this other body of knowledge where experts tell me what I'm supposed to know. And they use many times equipment that I don't understand to probe the unseen world or the world that's very far away, like a telescope or a microscope. I could learn how to use those implements, but I didn't. Someone else is telling me what they discover, and I believe them, or I don't, depending on my perspective. And I want to comment about polling and about data and about my experience on X, which leads me to believe that you can justify statistically any position you want to fence on any given day. In fact, the idea that Free People Radio is truth-seeking makes us a novel organization. Because the people that I'm seeing on X, they're not truth-seeking. They're just seeking to manipulate me, no matter what the truth is. And that is, you know, not new. This has been going on a long time, like forever. But the difference is, with the digitized world, they're so very effective at it, and we the people have given up our ability to farm for ourselves. We're dependent on the system in large part. 
Therefore, we give over to the system, and the system is lying to us. And many, many, many facts are really not facts. They're trying to use that dialectic to get an outcome, which might not even have anything to do with my well-being, probably doesn't. So I'm going to say that the, second, the first domain is what I know for sure. The second domain is what I know for sure because somebody told me with scientific instruments and scientific method. I'm at the point now where I'm questioning that because I can't rely on people to be honest because we've gotten so far away from the sacred honor that was associated with being human. We always had cheats and liars and criminals, or as the Arabs like to say, priests and politicians and prostitutes. The three Ps, priests, politicians, and prostitutes, Sharmuta. They, they've known about this. This goes back all the way. But the digitized part of it makes it so immeasurably more powerful that I have to question that second domain. So I have my first domain of knowledge, what I know, because I know it. And you can't take it away from me because it's me. It's my smiles and cries. You can't take away my smiles and cries, and you can't take away how I interpret my smiles and cries because that's me. That's me. Okay, can't take it away. You can try. You can try. You can put me in the hot sun and deprive me of sleep and food for seven days and make me work out 16, 18 hours a day. It didn't work with me. It works with most people. It didn't work with me. I can't be hypnotized either. So some of us hang on to our smiles and cries. I don't know why. I'm sure, I am sure about this, that if I was tortured long enough and hard enough, I'd have to make a decision to die or give in. I haven't been in that spot. And for all the people that have been in that spot, I've known people like that. And um, may God bless and heal you. May God bless and heal you. And that's that third domain. The third domain is the domain we know what's out there. Of course, the guys that dominate the second domain, they say there is no third domain. But that's human arrogance, right? There's a third domain, and that's the world we know is out there that we know nothing about. So Chief Sequoia, no, excuse me, what am I saying? Chief Seattle, <laughs> excuse me, Chief Seattle, when meeting with the U.S. military, and I've told this story, I'll tell it again, uh, when they were meeting to have a peace conference in the U.S. military, that would be the Yankees, the Union Army, was trying to get Chief Seattle to take his tribe and uh, go to the reservation. And uh, the U.S. military general took a big stick at the sit-down and drew a big circle in the dirt, and he said, this is what the uh, Indian knows. Well, that's what they said in those days. Called him an Indian. And Chief Seattle got up, and he took his stick, and he drew a... Uh, I left one out. The general drew... This is what the, the Indian knows. And then he drew a bigger circle that encompassed the small circle, and he said, this is what the white man knows. So what the general was saying 
is we white people know so much more than you Indians. Just do what we tell you to do. Be our children. We'll take care of you. That's what he was saying. Through those two circles, a little circle for the Indian, a much bigger circle for the white man that encompassed the Indian's knowledge. And Chief Saddle got up and he took his stick and he drew a giant circle that encompassed both of the other circles. And he said, this is what nobody knows. That's a great story. There's this world out there that nobody knows, and we want to tap that world. That's what secret societies are really teaching the participants, how to get out into that unseen, unknowable third domain of knowledge and have some functionality there, to share energy, to share knowledge. Matter is information. To gain matter, it's both a... It's, it's two things at once, right? you got a waveform and you got particles. So if you have a domain that we don't know anything about and we tap it, we can get that waveform and have it affect our particles. That's what they're teaching. I know I'm going far out there, and if you're a physicist, please be kind to me. I'm doing this on the fly first thing in the morning. It's not the words that matter. It's the idea of what do you learn in the secret society. And they teach you about the first thing you learn is what are the domains to be studied. So if you're a scientist, there's only two domains. It's what you know and what you can study with instruments. And then you can bring that data back and know more. They don't acknowledge that third circle that encompasses everything. The secret societies, many of them do. So here's eight key concepts because we've got Three domains. We also have three ways to die. Three ways to die. Continuous concern or anxiety. Having nothing or poverty or having a disease. This is, this is called the three emptying factors. Having nothing. Having nothing. Continuous concern. Continuous anxiety and disease. Those three states of energy, states of mind, will empty you and kill you. So you have three domains of knowledge, three ways to die and no longer be part of the domains. And here's eight key concepts. Eight key concepts that can help a human being work their way through these domains of knowledge and avoid the three emptying concepts, thereby lengthening their days. Now, this is religious, but I'm taking it out of a religious context. I'm just going to talk about eight key concepts. Courage. Courage is important. Courage is very important. Courage. The courage to do what you need to do the courage not to give up, the courage to get up, the courage to defend yourself, the courage to defend what you believe in, the courage to defend your family, the courage to defend your country, the courage to defend your faith. How do we develop, how do we develop courage? Well, then we're going to talk about that in the future. We're just talking about what the concepts are. Courage. I have to do my own self-inventory. How courageous am I really? How courageous am I really? I know what I've done, but I don't know what I'm going to be called upon to do. 
courage. Concentration. Concentration. We have to be able to focus on the task at hand. We have to be able to concentrate our energy, not by straining. It's not about straining. It's about focusing with a relaxed awareness so that we can give and receive from our environment. Focus. Focus. Courage and focus. Those two things go together. Endurance. If you have courage, and you have the courage to focus. You have to be able to do it enduringly so that you can develop skills. Just because you have the courage to focus, that's just like knock, knock, knock. I want to get in the door. I'm courageous. I want to focus. Let me in. Okay, now here, come on in. Study. You have to endure. You have to be enduring. This is a key concept, to be enduring. How do you practice that? Well, we're going to talk about that, God willing, in the days to weeks to come. Because these are things, courage, concentration, endurance, we actually can develop those. That's what they do in the secret societies. They let these people in. They vet them out. And how they vet them out is, is they have a, a, a series of exercises and tests which forces the participant to be courageous to have concentration, to endure. That's what they're teaching. They're teaching honesty in many of these secret societies. Some of the societies teach how to lie, but not to the people in the society. We don't lie to our seniors. We just don't. Not in those secret societies. First of all, the seniors, generally speaking, are attuned enough to know when they're being lied to, which, where I came up from, would get you an ass whipping. But honesty is fundamental to development, any kind of development. If you're lying to yourself, how are you going to be able to self-assess and move forward? So honesty, it's, you know, it's right in the Ten Commandments. Thou shalt not, thou shalt tell the truth, because it's integral to the development of a healthy, well human being. Honesty. Humility. Humility, number five of eight. Why? Because if you are courageous and you can focus and you have endurance and you're honest, now you're going to have power. Well, power, if you turn out to be an arrogant ass, is going to sink you. This is where you start to get into the higher levels of the training. If you have arrogance, you, you know, they had it in Star Wars. The bigger the pride, the bigger the fall. So when you get trained, if you're a, a Jedi Knight and you get up there with those Jedi skills and you're an arrogant son of a gun, you're going to fall. That's just the way it works. I don't know why it works that way, but you'll fall. And the more you get to be arrogant and the longer you get to be arrogant and the more you think you won the game as being arrogant, oh, your fall will be all that much more intense. Control of power. If you did learn how to be courageous, and you can concentrate, and you can endure, and you're honest, and you're humble, 
you have a tremendous power that you've developed, control of power. When do you use your power? How do you use your power? And I'm going to tell you right here, this is the one where you reach that spot where you recognize those three domains. This is where a trained person in this tradition can go much farther than a Ph.D. because they do not experience in a way that they can intellectualize the third domain that encompasses everything. But if you follow this formula and something happens that requires you to be powerful, you might find that the power that flows through you is not your own. I have this happen to me many times. I'm reminded of this one time I was in this social setting and someone said something that was really, really wrong. I mean, horrifyingly wrong. And with no thought, I perfectly, my right arm shot out. They had a glass of uh, a beverage uh, cocktail in their hand, and I hit the bottom of that glass just right, so it popped out of their hand and went all over their face and all over their shirt. I didn't hit them. I didn't touch them. In fact, they weren't even sure because it was a very busy uh, setting how that even happened. They, they, They didn't even know that it was me. That's how cool that was. I knew it was me, and that was one of those moments when I said, wow, my eyes can't believe what my hands had done. I wasn't mad. I wasn't angry. It just happened. And it was great because this person that was spouting very terrible ideas had to go clean themselves up. It was great. Am I admitting to something that would could be seen as a violation? Yes, but the person was not hurt. I never acted mad. They were saying terrible things, and they were very arrogant, and they suddenly were covered in a cocktail. So, you know, sometimes the control of power is to be ready and willing and able to be powerful, be humble, be honest, have courage, etc., and so on. They all work together. Tension and relaxation. This is number seven. Tension and relaxation. We're getting down here to the well-being concept. Uh, I think they call it isometric exercises in the West. We want to be as loose as we can be unless we need to be as hard as we can be for just a split second. We're more in tune. We move freer. We are freer. Things move around us better when we're very, very loose unless we got to get tense for a split second. And when we understand tension and relaxation, we recognize that we can tense and relax our bodies like an internal massage of our organs, and that's really good for our well-being. So tension and relaxation knowing when and how to move intellectually, emotionally, and physically, how to move. It's very critical. And then the final one, timing or speed control. For things to be right, they got to be at the exact right time. You can do the right thing at the wrong time. It's inappropriate. You can do the wrong thing at the right time. It's inappropriate. You got to do the right thing at the right time. And if you do all these, if you develop all these skills, the courage, the concentration, the endurance, the honesty, the humility, 
the control, the tension and relaxation, and then timing. If you can develop all these things in a secret society, you could be a 33-degree mason. Or you could be a PhD, MD, working in an emergency room. Or you could be a priest. Or you could be a Illuminati. Or, but all of these societies are teaching this pathway. And why, oh why, is this not taught to my children at elementary school? Why are we teaching all the rest of this stuff? Why are we teaching kids how to be creative and be one with that third domain of knowledge? Why, why is that? I mean, we're spending billions. We could teach these teachers how to do this. Hey, they're on the payroll. For 80 grand, they'll learn whatever we put in front of them because they're dependent on the system. So we give them the curriculum that they're teaching right now, which has nothing to do with keeping people alive. It has to do with keeping the system alive. That's a completely different organization and intent of the educational process. It's about system maintenance. They don't want to have 300 million sentient, creative, connected people, everybody with an opinion. That would be hard to manage. And that is what our founding fathers gave to us. They did not give us a system of inequity. They freed us from a system of inequity. They did not tell us how to live our lives. They gave us the right to figure out how I was going to live my life. And every once in a while, every 80 or 100 years or so, we the people have to refresh our republic. There's nothing new about this. There's nothing worse about this than the last time. It's the same thing another day. And every time, the outcome is uncertain because we're voting with our will. So for those of you that want to have peace and prosperity and freedom, there's a vote you need to make. There's things you need to do with this secret knowledge. And for those of you that want to have servitude and socialism and empire, then you have something that you're doing. And in these two groups, about 10% of the participants are actually trained and they're at battle with each other in the war of ideas. And everybody else is consuming the information and takes a vote on the representatives, the representatives of these ideas. So that's what we're doing here. Let's go on X and let's promote these ideas of spiritual borders, of turning public debt into public asset, and in killing. I, you know, I find it hard to believe anybody's going to get on the other side of that. I just do. Can't believe it. And here's the final piece of it when you're in these secret societies. When my young producer, did you go to public school? Went to public school. They spend very little time teaching about history. And the history that they were te taught was a specialized version of history, of course, because the winners get to say what the history is. But the most important part of history was not taught. And that most important part is, what is time? This is part of that epistemology thing. What is time? Why are some people relatively timeless and able to move into the past and the future and see like they're prophets, so to speak? And other people don't have those skills. 
It's very simple. It's a skill. If we were all taught the skill of time, this whole illusion that we're living in would devolve right away. I mean, they'd, the people that are running the dialectics, they'd just be revealed to be, I have all these not nice things I could be saying. They would just be, I'm not going to say that. I want to say it. They're just going to be revealed. If we had the power of time in the people, they would just be revealed to have, as my mother would say, feet of clay. <clears throat> they would just have feet of clay, excuse me. How do cultures teach timelessness? Well, I'm going to give you a, a little one that I thought was interesting. I was going to talk about uh, uh, something from the Judeo-Christian tradition, the Exodus. That's part of the Christian tradition. It's very important to the Jewish tradition, the Exodus, when the Israelite people, the Jewish people, were liberated from over 400 years of bondage in Egypt, and they went out of Egypt. They were led by Moses and Aaron. And that's the central narrative of the Jewish uh, calendar. That's really an important narrative. And that's where timelessness is taught. And I wanted to talk about the story uh, of the Exodus and how that story is kept alive generation after generation after generation. Because when I was a kid and when I would go, I'm talking about too young to think, and I would go to what was called the Passover Seder, or as it's talked about in the New Testament, the Last Supper, a Passover Seder. Christ's Last Supper was a retelling of the Exodus from Egypt. It was a ritualistic telling of the story. Jesus Christ's Last Supper was a Seder, which is the teaching of timelessness. Isn't that interesting? And I'll tell you what was interesting to me is I know exactly the story that I wanted to teach from. And when I looked it up, and I knew it before I went there, I went, okay, what is this week's Torah reading? Or what are the Jews reading in the Old Testament this week, the week I want to talk about timelessness? And lo and behold, and the, the Torah portion is called Bo, it's this week. And I thought to myself, don't be a meaning-making machine. It's just an accident. It was a 1 in 52 chance, after all, that the story I wanted to tell this week about timelessness would be this week. Yet it was. I thought that was significant for me. And if you can think it's significant for you, I think that's cool because what we're doing now is we're talking about timelessness. And for the Stu Peters and Nick Fuentes types, why are so many Jews and anti-Jews in such power positions in the society. And I'm going to tell you why. Timelessness. They have skills about timelessness that are not taught well at the, the elementary school run by the state. The story of how the Jews were liberated from Israel, uh, from Egypt, and became the nation of Israel. This is war, how the Jewish people get a sense of timelessness. Every year at the Passover Seder, which is a religious ritual in the home, the story of the Exodus is told. And I'm just going to read some of what is told in the Old Testament. You can go read this in the Old Testament for yourself. I'm not making it up. 
and you got to do it for yourself. I'm just going to read some high points, and maybe I can transmit the timelessness that I received as a young man, as a young kid. The Lord said to Moses, Come to Pharaoh, for I have hardened his heart and the heart of his servants, in order that I may place these signs of mine in his midst. And in order, listen to this, and in order that you tell into the ears of your son and your son's son how I, God, made a mockery of the Egyptians and my signs that I placed in them, and you will know that I am the Lord your God. This is the part. In order that you tell into the ears of your son and your son's son. See, it's my responsibility to tell the story. It's my son's responsibility to uptake the story as a master narrative in his own life. This is written the way it's written, very carefully. So Moses and Aaron went to Pharaoh and said, you know, let my people go. For if you refuse to let them go, behold, tomorrow I'm going to bring locusts into your borders. So there's ten plagues, ten plagues that we remember at the ritual dinner of the Seder in the basement of our home, high ritual, grandfather, father, and son, all together with all the family members, and it takes two or three hours to go through this thing, and we're hungry, and they count out the plagues to remind us of God's power and the way they say it, dom, and a drop of wine goes on the plate like blood, Svardea, on the plate it goes. Shkinim, on the plate it goes. And you're sitting there, you're like five or six or seven years old, you're going, shit, these are plagues. This is serious. Darkness, boils, locusts, you know, stuff that you don't want to deal with. And God is saying, hey, 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 you need to remember this because I did this to liberate you from 430 years of slavery. This is powerful stuff when you're too young to think it through. When you get around people that believe it, it passes itself on. And then Moses. Moses was a supernatural character. Moses stretched forth his staff in over the land of Egypt. And the Lord led an east wind in the land. And all that day and all that night. And by the time it was morning, the east wind had borne the locusts. So Moses, Moses had this special relationship with God. Hey, everybody would like that. That's the edge that'll get you girls, right? At least that's what you think when you're young and arrogant. Moses could stretch forth his staff and do God's will. What a great deal when you're talking about saving the people from bondage, from slavery. This sticks in your mind. You see Moses. Of course, then you get Charlton Heston. If you haven't watched, have you ever seen the movie The Ten Commandments with Charlton Heston? Up, down the memory hole it went. There's a great movie, The Ten Commandments with Charlton Heston as Moses, which I'm sure Stu Peters would say came out of the uh, Jewish media, which it did. But it's a great depiction, and that added, because it tried to be very faithful to the text, it added to the imagery. It's like, oh, wow, they're telling me this in the basement of my house, and now I'm seeing it on the new color TV. Whoa, this stuff is for real. And I'm starting to project myself into the past because we do it every year. 
on the first two nights of Passover. We can't eat this sumptuous meal that Grandma has made until we go through this ritual for two or three hours where they even drink because you got to get a little woozy to uptake this stuff. And everybody gets to participate. The youngest kid in the room gets to ask questions called the Manishtana, four questions. Manishtana halayla hazeh. Why is this night different than all other nights? So the whole thing, why is it different? Because we're opening the portal, the time portal. Kid, you're going to get the time portal. You're going to get to go back in time because you, young son, must believe that you were personally redeemed. You must see, they teach me this. I learned this. I must see myself as being personally redeemed. Like I was in that crowd of 600,000 Israelites that boogied out of Egypt. Wow. It's, you know, it's cool. It gave me a sense of timelessness. And they weren't done. There was more plagues. The Lord said to Moses, stretch forth your hand towards the heavens, and there will be darkness over the land of Egypt, and darkness will become darker. Well, this guy's got power. This is cool, isn't it? We got liberation from bondage. We've got a, a great man, a hero, Moses. We've got supernatural events. We've got God intervening for the Jewish people, and I am there myself, which means, which means, first for the Jew and then for the Gentile, we're all in the process of being liberated from the business model of slavery, drugs, and piracy, which the pharaohs perfected and has been passed on secret society to secret society since the land of Egypt. So we've got two great dialectics, be called good and evil, light and dark. Listen to this one. Please speak into the ears of the people and let them borrow each man from his friend and each woman from her friend silver vessels and golden vessels. And the Lord gave the people favor in the Egyptians' eyes. Also the man Moses was highly esteemed in the land of Egypt in the eyes of Pharaoh's servants and in the eyes of the people. So these people believed, and they got all the money. Now this was kind of a shakedown. We don't have to get into the particulars of why the Egyptians gave up all their gold and silver to the Israelites as they left, but the fact is they did. So you got signs and wonders and key men and liberation, and God's hand is involved. Because God said, I didn't send an angel or a seraph, I came myself. And you, David Penn, have to see yourself in that crowd of 600,000 people as if you were there. Please pass me another glass of wine. This is getting good. And there was another plague. There's 10 plagues. I'm just picking out some that are the heavy ones. And so Moses said to the Lord, at the dividing point of the night, I will go out into the midst of Egypt and every firstborn in the land of Egypt will die, from the firstborn of Pharaoh who sits on his throne to the firstborn of the slave woman who is behind the millstones, and every firstborn animal. Hey, now, this is heavy. All the firstborns are dying. This is a theme that goes on here all the way up to the time of King Herod and the birth of Jesus, killing off the firstborn, also known as ethnic cleansing. Ethnic cleansing. People want to take uh, issue with the book. Okay, that's another podcast. The point is, 
God was at war with the gods of Egypt and was smoking these dudes. I was a big winner. This was 1967. I was almost in my teenage years, and I'm reading this story, and then the Jews are beaten up in the 1967 wars on people that want to destroy them. Hey, it's a comeback. I'm relating to this stuff. Now I'm giving you the personal. The skill is timelessness. What is time? And the Lord spoke to Moses and to Aaron in the land of Egypt, saying, This month shall be to you the head of the months. To you it shall be the first of the months of the year. Speak to the entire community of Israel, saying, On the tenth of this month, let each one take a lamb for each parental home, a lamb for each household. And then they go into this description of the ritual. What is the ritual that we're going to do every year for thousands of years? Thousands of years creating this timelessness. And they shall take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts and on the lintel on the houses in which they will eat it. And on this night they shall eat the flesh, roast it over the fire, the unleavened cakes with bitter herbs, and we're still eating it every year. Every year we're following this menu. Every year, right out of the Old Testament. Well, this is power now. This is relating the current to the ancient, the ancient to the future. No time. And the blood will be for you a sign upon the houses where you will be. And I will see the blood and skip over you, and there will be no plague to destroy you when I smite the people of the land of Egypt. Oh, there's safety and protection in the faith and in the remembering. Oh, this gets people compliant, like believe or die. Hey, strong cultural mechanisms here. And this day shall be for you as a memorial, and you shall celebrate it as a festival for the Lord throughout your generations. You shall celebrate it as an everlasting statute. So people do this. They do this, and some of us become very timeless. Hard to bullshit a person that could go check it for themselves. This is a secret society. This is why the Jews occupy so many senior positions in our society. They're trained to do so. They're not trained to do so for some kind of international conspiracy. They got co-opted into that. What happened? We still recording? Great. All right. We're going to wrap up. See, I'm getting a, a sign that says you're going too long. Thank you for sticking with me. I'm talking about timelessness because this is part of the Christian tradition. This is the Judeo-Christian tradition. It's not just the Judeo-Christian. All of us are struggling to be freed from the pharaohic model of slavery, drugs, and piracy. We got the people, and we got the assholes that want to parasitize the people. There's way more of us than there is of them. And for seven days you will eat unleavened cakes, but on the preceding day you shall clear away all the leaven from your houses. For whoever eats leaven from the first day until the seventh day, that soul shall be cut off from Israel. They're given a, a, an on-off switch for who's a Jew and who's not a Jew. So if you don't keep the Passover, hey, you're an anti-Jew. Quit wrapping yourself in the cloth of being Jewish when you have nothing to do with it. The book says you're cut off. And you shall keep this matter as a statute for you and your children forever. Forever is kind of timeless, isn't it? 
Isn't that timeless? And it came to pass at the end of 430 years, and it came to pass on that very day that all the legions of the Lord went out from the land of Egypt. And it is a night of anticipation for the Lord to take them out of the land of Egypt. This night is the Lord's, guarding all the children of Israel throughout all their generations. Remember this day when you went out of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. For with a mighty hand, the Lord took you out of there, and therefore no leaven shall be eaten. You know, this is such an important uh, idea. Let me just read this, and then we'll finish up. And will come to pass if your son asks you in the future, what is this? This is the transmission of cultural knowledge. This is why the Jews have power. And it will come to pass if your son asks you in the future, saying, What is this? You shall say to him, With a mighty hand did the Lord take us out of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. And it came to pass when Pharaoh was too stubborn to let us out. The Lord slew every firstborn in the land of Egypt both the firstborn of man and the firstborn of beast. Therefore I slaughter all males that open the wound, and every firstborn of my sons I will redeem. And it shall be a sign upon your hand, and for ornaments between your eyes. For with a mighty hand did the Lord take us out of Egypt. For a reason. For a reason. So people say, how do the Jews, what is the international Jewish conspiracy? There it is. Any energy can be used for good or for ill. It depends who wields the energy. So for the anti-Jews who wield this energy with ill intent for the American people, they're not Jewish. They're evil. And for the people that are trying to get to the truth, they're truth-seeking to wield this energy for the well-being of the people, well, what they have is great sorrow because they recognize what they face. Um, I'm going to leave with a joke because I'm going to try to tell jokes. The point of tonight was there is domains of knowledge. There's a great domain we can draw from, and each one of us can draw from it individually. There's a way to kill ourselves, which is anxiety, being poor, and getting sick, which if we have the right concepts in our life, those concepts are a bastion against those factors. That time has been manipulated so that people are disconnected from their majesty so that they're atomized and all alone, therefore easy to control. Hard to control people that think they're on a sacred mission. That's why we have the separation of church and state, to protect the state from people that believe in sacred honor and to protect people of sacred honor from the machinations of the state. We need to understand this and come to grips with it. And it's so serious. I'm going to end with a joke, and I'll say goodbye, and I'll see you again on Thursday night. So a very religious uh, man, I mean very religious, he believed that he would receive freedom from sin. He believed he'd have health for all of his flesh. He believed. He had faith. And a flood came. 
it flooded up. I mean, you know, his house was in a flood. And uh, the first floor filled up, and he went up to the second floor, and the second floor filled up, and he went up on the roof, and the guy was going to drown. And he said, I have faith. I'm going to be okay. And a boat came, and the guy screamed up from, you know, the, 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 the police. They said, hey, 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 can we help you? The guy said, nope, I'm good. My God will save me. And they drove away because they had a lot of other people to rescue from the flood. And a little bit while later, another boat came up, and the waters are creeping up, creeping up the roof now. And they said to the guy, they screaming, hey, can we help you? Guy goes, no, I'm good. God will, God's going to save me. Boat drove off to go help some other people. A third boat came by. And again, the cop screams, can we help you? Can we get you off the roof? I'm good. I have faith. God will, will protect me, will save me. And the waters kept rising, and the guy drowned. Drowned dead as a rock. And his spirit went up to heaven, and he went to the gates. And he was quite upset. And he goes, I want an audience with the Lord. I'm a faithful man. I believed. I believed that I would receive. And I died. God, what did you do to me? What happened? And God said to him, schmuck, I sent three boats. So on that note, I'm going to keep telling jokes and trying to get better at them. Thanks very much. We'll see you soon again. Be well. Timelessness and training are due to all American citizens. Thank you very much.